Hi everyone, hope you're doing well. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to the show on Amazon Music and that this podcast has recently been chosen to be featured podcast over on the educational page on Amazon Music. So please check it out, be well, and talk to you soon. Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello all, welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with you. And I want to remind you as always that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. It does not constitute a working with a mental health provider or that the subject matter we talk about is specifically working on your issues. So please seek out a provider in your area to speak, to spend the time and build the relationship that will help you address these issues. And if you can't find one in your immediate area, do keep in mind, we also do work virtually now too. So today's podcast, uh, I was was with someone I met during a training recently in brain spotting. And yes, as if you've been listening to the other episodes, you know, I spent a bit of time over there, but we had a very fascinating and very supportive training. And in hearing about this person's work, I felt that this was a definitely a podcast we need to also have here. And so I extended the offer. And today we're going to be talking with Kelly Baker. Kelly Baker is a licensed marriage and family therapist, business coach, certified trauma-informed yoga instructor, and the founder and owner of Onyx Trauma Healing Center, a mental health and wellness group practicing in Hanford, California, that uses social justice, liberation, and decolonization framework to support healing from trauma. Kelly specializes in working with BIPOC people, more specifically BIPOC women and adolescent girls who are overly stressed, overwhelmed with drama-filled lives or who suffer from trauma exposure, exposure learned to learning to be gentler with themselves, slow down meaningfully and connect with their strength, confident voices. Kelly is passionate about decolonizing wellness and the physical and emotional benefits of mental mindful movement and creating opportunities for women and girls to use their bodies to heal, grow, and transform their, their chaos into clarity, confidence, and peace. Kelly incorporates meditation, brain spotting, EMDR, transform, trauma-informed yoga, mindfulness, and trauma care in her approach to work with women. She believes when women are well, society is well. She works with teenagers, families, and individuals across the lifespan. She, Kelly is currently affiliated with Kings Valley Academic High School West. Well, there's a number of colleges in this. Yes. I don't know, I'll let <laughs> yes. Kelly talk about that. Uh, yes. Kelly earned a uh, Bachelor's of Art and Social Work from UCS Fresno and her MA in Marriage and Family Therapy with a minor in Latina, La- Latina and Latino Culture from Pacific Oaks College in, in Pasadena, in 2006. So Kelly, welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, yeah. Glad you could be here. And that is a list, quite a list of people you're working with there. <laughs> I am. I am in, in uh, lots of different places. Um, and so, yeah, and as we talk, I can share about some of the work that I'm doing in my community. And um, 
you know, not in addition to being in my private practice. And I think that sometimes therapists think we can only do private practice, but we can also mm-hmm. contract with other organizations. And so, yeah, and collaborate with also with other organizations and schools. So, yeah, those are some of the things that I'm involved with. Excellent. And to that end, how did you get into all of this? How did you get here? How did I get here? This is actually my second career. So my first career, I worked um, 25 years in law enforcement. I was a probation officer. I was a parole agent for the state of California. I also was deputy director of Kings County Behavioral Health. And in all of those capacities, one of the things that uh, was consistent for me was seeing a lack of services available for BIPOC and marginalized communities. And so being you know, the, as a frontline worker, but also being in management, seeing mm-hmm. that there just wasn't a lot of services available. And it was always my goal to be a therapist. And so when I was able to retire, um, I um, finished, got my clinical hours because I also saw there wasn't a lot of therapists that looked like me. And so I knew that one day I wanted to have a mental health practice, especially when I was looking for a therapist for my youngest son. He just turned 20, just had a birthday. Mm-hmm. And so as a black single mom of a black son, you know, not able to find a therapist who was black, who was younger, who could really connect with him. And then I'm, then I was like, okay, let me just find a therapist of color. I also wanted a male therapist and, and really struggled, really struggled to find a therapist for him. Eventually I was able to find a therapist for my son. And so one of the things that I thought looked at was why, why did I, why was it such a challenge for me? And, and I didn't want just any therapist, but a therapist that looked like him and how could I grow therapists in my community? And so that's really how I got here, you know, having mm-hmm. a need for my son, but also, you know, recognizing that in my community, there's a, a significant shortage. And, and again, how could I change that? You know, not just for mm-hmm. my son, but other, you know, other um, BIPOC folks or marginalized folks uh, from marginalized identities who also had that same need. And that's kind of how I got here. Yeah, and, and it's a very important story. And it's, we can also talk about the aspect of black men and black men in, in the therapy profession as we go along, because that's also a, a very key place to addressing all this. But you talked about in one of the things that made me say, like, okay, you want to come on here is the program you run, which I think is an important one as well in that same framework of what you just talked about. So let's talk a bit about that. Yes. So in addition to owning, uh, you know, founding Honest Trauma Healing Center, which is a mental health private practice in Hanford, California, um, there's myself in there. I have four other um, BIPOC therapists that work at Onyx. And so as part of my work with Onyx and doing community work, I had the opportunity to become the executive director of a nonprofit, Express Arte Wellness Cultural Collective. And in a collaboration between Express Arte and Onyx, we came up with this project called BIPOC Homegrown Therapist Fellowship. And so last year was our pilot year. And how we came up with this concept is in the part of California, Central California, that really is a desert when it comes to um, having access to mental health providers and more specifically BIPOC mental health providers. And that when um, folks go to graduate school and they have this desire to become therapists, the number one is really hard to become licensed. 
It is really hard to be able to pay for your testing materials, to pay for the licensing fee. So it creates a, a significant financial burden and that BIPOC therapists often are stuck in community mental health, which leads to high levels of burnout. And in my area, because there's not a lot of opportunities that when, when graduate students graduate, they generally go go to the larger cities to get their clinical hours and that's where they stay. And so we also, when you look at the pass and failure rate for BIPOC therapists, whether mm-hmm. it's in the MFT, um, in the social work field, professional counseling, that BIPOC therapists have the low and Black therapists, men and women, have the lowest pass and failure rate first of taking the clinical exam. Like for Black men, it's like 36% pass, which is almost 70% do not pass. And so mm-hmm. the Association of Social Workers put out a study and they talk about um, you know the past, the past, and uh, the past and failure rate broken down by demographics. And so, what we looked at is how could we create this opportunity to grow therapists in our community, encourage and support those therapists to stay in our community, to mentor them, to support them, to um, providing clinical supervision by a black clinical supervisor myself. Um, also mm-hmm. providing them with training um, that has been shown to be very effective in trauma healing, brain spotting, and mm-hmm. supporting them financially with paying for um, like licensing exam, testing materials, anything that they need to become licensed. And so supporting therapists from being unlicensed all the way to being licensed financially, and then also mm-hmm. offering curriculum um, that that really uh, focuses on social justice. So like gender, sexuality, um, white supremacy, capitalism. And so just a whole breadth of curriculum related to social justice. So not only preparing them to become licensed, but also preparing them to operate within a social justice framework, where in our program, they could also talk about their own racism that they were experiencing or just things they don't generally get to talk about in their clinical um, you know, their clinical placement. And so creating this community, um, the first year our program was six months. This year we expanded to a 12-month program. And so for 12 months, all of our folks meet. The first quarter we met every other week, and then the rest of the program it's once a month. And so we come together, we do training around, again, around social justice, and then building a community where therapists don't have to work in silo, don't have to be alone, Mm -hmm. can actually have a supportive community and then receive financial support that they need. And then how they give back is for like 90 days, they offer brief therapy to the BIPOC marginalized communities um, in our area. And so those folks are able to access free therapy for um, eight sessions. And generally those folks, uh, at least from last year, were people who had very little exposure to therapy and had even less exposure to working with a therapist that looks like them. Mm -hmm. And so that is kind of the program in in a nutshell. But one of the things that I'm like super excited about that we added this year is we added an entrepreneurial component. So not just equipping therapists to become licensed and supporting them 
um, some folks from graduate school all the way to getting their clinical hours and getting licensed, but also educating them and equipping them to move into private practice if that's what they want to do. Because I, what I find is often, especially BIPOC therapists, may know how to do the clinical work, but often don't have the skills you need to run a business because providing mental health services is a business. And mm-hmm. so we also provide them with entrepreneurship training from, you know, how do you, um, you know, establish your niche? How do you establish the structure of your business? Like literally everything to be able to launch your business. Another thing we're doing new this year is we're having a two-day wellness retreat where we're going to have a photographer come in and take folks pictures for their websites, mm-hmm. for their business cards. Um, we have some uh, folks, a uh, lady's going to come in and do yoga. And so mixing entrepreneurship with wellness. And again, it's all BIPOC centered. And so in a nutshell, that's our program. Also, um, and you can slow me down too, because I talk a lot, I talk fast, mm-hmm. I get super excited, but also our program was funded by Kaiser Kaiser Foundation, um, Cal Endowment Foundation, and um, Central Valley Community Foundation. So this isn't just you know something an idea we came up with and then we just kind of you know bootstrapped funding. No, our program mm-hmm. was actually was was actually fully funded. And um, uh-huh. you speak a bit to the what the relationship with the foundation is like. Um, so it's different. All three foundations are totally different. Um, So Community Central Valley Community Foundation, they actually have a learning convening component. So once a month, we, myself and one other person, we meet with the other organizations that were granted, so the grantees. And then we have a learning community where we learn about different things in the community related to BIPOC marginalized communities and then the work that we're doing. And then... Our other grant through Cal Endowment, we had to come up with outcomes. And so one of our outcomes was our the first year we had our program, we focused on Kings, Tula- Kings and Tulare County. So I'm in the Central Valley. So mm-hmm. we focused on those two communities. And so one of our outcomes was expanding our geographical location from Stanislaw County, so Stockton, all the way to Kern County. And so mm-hmm. making our program more accessible to therapists in those areas who often, you know, worked in silos uh, and were very isolated from other BIPOC therapists. And so that was one of our outcomes. Also new this year. So that was a requirement. So having, how do we expand this program? How do we create more access? How do we grow more therapists in other communities outside of Kings and Tulare County? Another um, another outcome was how do we support BIPOC mental health professionals who may not be therapists, who are out mm-hmm. there doing this work, who may be case managers, who may be community organizers, who may be pastors, who may be um, you know, founders of nonprofits who are BIPOC, who are also experiencing, you know, racial trauma, white supremacy, capitalism. And so another component we added to this year's fellowship is we actually have five, five of those folks. We call mm-hmm. them their are Sankofa fellowship. And so we have a husband and wife. Um, he's a pastor. They own, they well, not own, they founded a nonprofit. And the focus of their nonprofit is is gang is gun violence and mm-hmm. gang violence. It, it majority of black and brown um, men 
and, and, and teenagers. That's their focus population. And then we also have two people that are community organizers. And then one lady who is a MFT graduate student. And so they're not therapists, but they're out in the trenches. They're out doing the work. They are experiencing a significant amount of trauma. The population they work with um, have experienced a lot of trauma. And so not only just growing therapists, but really expanding who are healers is not just therapists. We don't just work in silo. We work with other you know, community organizers who are out there doing this work. And how can we build a community that includes all of us? And how can the fellowship equip everybody to be out there, you know, to sustain their own wellness while doing this work? And so not only did we pay for our therapists to get trained in brain spotting, also our Sankofa fellows who, you know, our community organizers also got trained in brain spotting. And so, you know, so again, really, you know, pushing this definition, you know, expanding what wildness looks like that, you know, there's some folks who will never see a therapist, but they may be willing to interact with a community organizer who they see that's out there in the trenches doing this work anyway. And so, yeah, so those are some of the things that we're doing. And again, you know, the foundations that we partner with, their process is different. One of the things that's similar across the board is it's all based on relationships. Mm -hmm. And so these relationships were built not through just, you know, submitting or responding to an RFP. It was actually having meetings before there was an RFP, before there, before they were even, you know, saying, hey, we're looking for folks to collaborate with. It was us approaching them and saying, hey, you know, can we meet with you and talk about this? Uh, talked about our fellowship and what we're doing out in the community, having multiple meetings, finding alignment. You know, did our mission and vision for our program, was it in alignment with the projects they were funding? And then when there was alignment, you know, them inviting us to apply for funding. Very nice. And very much needed. And I know uh, I was talking to another group of therapists end of last month, and that's something I need to finish up for them. Um <laughs> One of the big things we talk about is that sense of isolation. Um, and I know when they were asking me running my practice, I said, I actually don't feel like I'm isolated because I've made a point to go out, do the networking, do these events and such. And if anything, that's something I built into my practice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to just staying in my office all the time, never doing things that there are intentional times where. I am purposely going to do these things because it keeps me from being and feeling isolated. Not to mention, um, as I know, as I talked with another therapist a while ago, he was going to school in like the 60s and 70s. And he basically said that everything they were were being taught in schools was immediately for them to just go into an agency. The idea of being in private practice was a fluke. And was not there something that they had never even designed any of their structures around encouraging? And obviously that shifted about the 80s. But that sense of what we're not getting trained in running that running the business side of it, being the and having to be the administrator, whether it is of our own private practice to a group practice or even to a nonprofit. Those mm-hmm. aren't the average skill sets mm-hmm. everyone's gonna have. 
No. And I think that even now, um, you know, graduate students are not learning about the business, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurship or running a private practice business. I don't think that's really changed that much. And I think also this idea of we should not be making money, you know, that that we should that, you know, how do you even ask for the money? How do you even ask, you know, or set your rate? That, you know, people still have a lot of trauma around money. Oh, yes. Yeah. The you know, relationship. <laughs> yes. And so, and how can you run an effective business if you still have some unhealed trauma as it relates to money, as it relates hmm. to, you know, creating and enforcing boundaries? Um, I know for me, I didn't come from a family of, of entrepreneurs. Um, or fan, uh, business owners, I didn't come from that. And mm. where I learned a lot of what I know about business was when I was deputy director of Kings County Behavioral Health, because that was a position where, you know, we worked with budgets, um, you know, mm. community engagement. And so a lot of what I learned came from there, that environment, but also recognizing that If you're running a business, whether it's private practice or any business, if you're not making money, it's not a business. It's a hobby. Mm -hmm. And if it's nonprofit, if there is not money coming into maintaining the nonprofit, it's a hobby. Yep. If you are not making money, that is a hobby. Mm -hmm. You're in business to make money. You know, you're in business to support your lifestyle, you know, to pay your bills, to live the life that you want to live. And um, and if you're not running your business, whether it's private practice or a nonprofit in that way, then you have to ask yourself, then why are you in this business? Because I know at Onyx in my private practice and then the nonprofit that I'm the executive director of, if I'm not generating enough revenue to support my lifestyle, then I'm not generating enough revenue to do the work that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely a muddy place that gets aspect of when you got somebody who's in trauma and pain and so forth, they want to be cared for naturally, understandably. They're not worrying necessarily about all the niceties of keeping the electric bill coming on, getting everybody properly trained, uh, being able to get that note that's going to be useful for them to get off work or get accommodations. They want that. So this other standpoint is like it has someone has to actually stop and consider those things. And yes. it is part of that relationship that we have with healing that doesn't get doesn't get normalized and recognized the same way that it probably should. No, I, I don't think so. And I think also, you know, normalizing that it's not okay to be struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, that, yeah, we should be able to live the lifestyle that we want to live and provide great services centered around healing. You know, if that's the work that we've been called to, you know, to do. And so for me, um, you know, um, blending what I do with Onyx versus, you know, the nonprofits. So like for our fellowship, when our, mm-hmm. um, when we finish our fellowship, if I'm able to, like, I will um, like hire, you know, a fellow in, at Onyx. Like right now I have two fellows who, one who was a previous fellow and one who was a current fellow who work at Onyx. 
And so mm-hmm. teaching them actually while they're, you know, providing a service, the business part of it. So at Onyx, any of the therapists that work at Onyx, they don't just see clients. They are actually learning how to run a business, learning how to brand themselves, learning how to market themselves and getting comfortable with talking about money, setting boundaries, so that if they want to start their own private practice, that they're well equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, nice. and I and I can remember before Onyx, I was in another group practice that I founded with another therapist. And we had two other, we had two associates who were working with us and we ended up dis, disbanding that, that practice. But we'd have these meetings and I and I would be telling them, you have to ask for the money. You have to charge clients. You have to charge clients before they leave. You know, you mm-hmm. can't. And, and there was just this, a lot of fear. I'm like, you know, clients are OK with pain. Sometimes we, therapists have a hard time saying this is what my fee is. Mm-hmm. And it's not the client that has the issue. It's us mm-hmm. that have the issue. It's us that feel uncomfortable with saying, you know, this is how much my fee is. You know, and so we did a lot of training around just getting comfortable around having that conversation. Because the other piece is when you're out in the community, you're not really able to market yourself because we also have a hard time really talking about ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that lets people know that, hey, this is what I do. And I'm a great therapist. I'm a great coach or whatever, you know, that whatever your thing is. And so even, you know, talking about that, that you do have to, it isn't boasting because sometimes in some cultures, it feels like you're just boasting, but it isn't boasting. It is really, you know, talking about this great service that you provide. Which is also, which is also adding, because I think there's the other element too, to that is that we've historically indigenously come from cultures where the healers were provided for by the community. We're not living in a world or culture that even values that. And so right. continue to expect that we're operating from that is actually doing us a disservice. Yes, 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 yes. And um, and I think it's a disservice when we don't really, you know, talk about, you know, all the great work that we're doing, all the great, um, you know, access to healing that we're providing, um, you know, where we don't really allow people, you know, to see that number one, healing is possible. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing trauma work, talk therapy isn't even like the gold standard. You know, you work on somatic stuff that allow people to be able to talk if they want about their Mm -hmm. traumatic experiences. And so when we don't really talk, you know, brain spotting, when we don't really talk about, you know, these other just wonderful things that we're doing, then we have a whole community that doesn't even know what's available to them. Well, even more so the idea that just to perform therapy, that you're going to have to, that it's always going to be talk, that someone's always going to be willing to talk. And sometimes we don't talk as the last thing we're capable of. This mm-hmm. is where other than the meetings, like you said, brain spotting or even art therapy comes yeah. into place because there are just things that have reached. I mean, how many times do we have those classic statements of, I don't have words for this. Right. I right. don't have a word to express this. Right. And right. having something that is all about us sitting here talking about what is going on in our heads doesn't always work. Right, right. Yeah. 
I agree. And, you know, and, and, the, and, and what I love about brain spotting is that, you know, in, in, in the U.S., it, you know, you see more therapists, but in other countries, it's not just therapists, mm-hmm. you know, it's people that are out there doing the work and because not everybody can afford a therapist. Right. But there are also people who who don't have the words who need a safe space or a safe person, you know, where they can process. And so equipping more healers to be able to do that work, you know, can you mm-hmm. just imagine the amount of healing that could happen in our communities? Mm-hmm. Very much so. So I think that's a perfect place for us to take a break. All right. So we'll go ahead and have our session from there uh, for our second half. Uh, okay. I, this is Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Kelly Baker, also a licensed marriage and family therapist. So stay tuned, folks, for the second half. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm here with Kelly Baker, also licensed marriage and family therapist. And she represents Onyx. Uh, give me your name. The, the Onyx, Tra- Onyx Trauma Healing Center and Express Arte Cultural Wellness Collective. In Hanford, California. I closed my other computer, which had the information on there. It's ah, great. Great job for me. <laughs> so we've talked so we've talked a bit about your what what your program is and what are some of the difficulties that comes up with running a program like this that people want to should know about what all the work you're doing which is also justifying the support you're getting both from the uh from your clients when they pay for services as well as the foundations that help pay for your services Yes. And so with the program, I said last year was a pilot. And so this year we moved into a regular program. And so one of the so some of the challenges that we addressed from last year to this year was the first year was six months. And so fellows felt like they needed longer support. That six months Mm -hmm. really wasn't long enough. And so being able to expand our program to a 12 month program, also that fellows that six month period didn't allow us enough time to really dive into if you want to start a private practice or if you want to expand, if you're licensed and already in private practice, you know, having time to not only learn about how you could expand or create a private practice, but being able to get feedback from the group and the group also just needed more time to be with each other. And so this year um, we also 
um, expand. We also have men in our program. The first mm-hmm. year we didn't have any men in our program. This year we actually have three men in our program. And um, so we have a, a, a therapist. He's an associate marriage and family therapist and two community organizers. And so the therapist, just since our program started this year, when we started in like February, has experienced three deaths of young black men. Mm. And so being able to, you know, come to our, our meetings and being able to share that in a safe place, um, being able to talk about, you know, how it has impacted him as a, as a black therapist, as a black man, and as a black father of Mm -hmm. black, of black, um, of black, of black children. Um, and just, you know, the struggles of, you know, how do you deal with that and still go into a counseling session with your clients, you know? And so being able to support him with that, having some meaningful dialogue and having other therapists in the session also share some of the same things, you know, that we're experiencing dealing with grief, loss, trauma, just like our clients. And, and, you know, regular community mental health is no one asks, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. You know, no one says, um, you know, do you need support or, or when you're in clinical supervision, not feeling safe enough, you know, to share, you know, Hey, I just lost a really close friend of mine who was black, you know? And so really seeing that people needed more than six months of that type of support that Mm. really therapists needed as much support as possible. And the therapists and our community organizers were willing to come for 12 whole months, willing to, you know, when we meet on like one Saturday a month from nine to five, that they were willing to come and stay. And Mm. that not only that, that, um, you know, are they learning how to take care of themselves and provide a service, you know, for their community, but taking care of themselves is important. And that mm-hmm. that there's space in that, you know, and what that looks like. Every single person, I think I shared in the first segment, we paid for everyone to go to brain spotting. Mm-hmm. And so also every single person who went to brain spotting training came back and talked about the healing that they received. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's a challenge, you know, that you still have to go to work. You still have to, you know, show up for your clients when you're struggling too. Which adds into that standpoint of the community is not actually here taking care of the healers and vicarious trauma or secondary trauma, as some would call it, uh, is something there is a real hazard with this work. And if we become a point where we don't, and we can't actually have, deal with that appropriately even using our own systems we can't do this job and yeah you're going to be sitting there asking about who are there's there to help us so there is its own way that it feeds back onto itself that we have to do this work that we have to also make sure there is money coming in yes yes most definitely um, one of the community organizers, one of the, the black gentlemen who, you know, is doing some fantastic work with the black community around gun violence and gang violence, shared when he went to when he went to brain spotting training, mm-hmm. he said, I did so much crying in that training. He said, I didn't even know I had those tears in me. I didn't even know I had all of that unhealed stuff until I was mm-hmm. in that training. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and being able to, um, he was at some event and somebody saw him there and the person said, yeah, I haven't seen you in a while. And he says, yeah, I've been taking time to do some healing. You know, mm-hmm. this is a black man, you know, that, that that was able to say that, but also able to recognize that not only did he receive his own healing and brain spotting, but he can give that, you know, providing brain spotting, you know, to his community, to the people that he worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife was also in the brain spotting training. Um, she's a co-founder with him. She stayed after the training to connect with the other brain spotters. And she's like, okay, sign me up for phase two. We're <laughs> going to use this, you know, with our community and to have this modality that doesn't require that you be a therapist, you know, just all the healing that we can do. One of our other uh, folks, she's the executive director of, um, it's a nonprofit. A majority of their staff, if not all of their staff are BIPOC. She's doing brain spotting with them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just, you know, the ripple effect. Yeah. I think although just keep in mind is that also means you've got to be doing your own work too. Yep. 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 Yeah, yep. Because, and as we say, brainstorming is great and wonderful, but make sure you're doing your own work too. Because mm-hmm. we're trying not to continue to perpetuate trauma. Yes. And doing that means that everybody needs healing. Yes. Also, in order to do your own work, you either have to have access or create access, right? Mm-hmm. And so with our fellowship, that's a part of the creating access, you know, creating access to these programs or this service, but also creating a safe space where we're able to come back, you know, as a group and also do, you know, healing is collective. We don't heal mm-hmm. in isolation. And so, mm-hmm. you know, having this, you know, collective experience that also is very healing. Um, and it's also, you know, the, another component of our fellowship. And again, you know, realizing that people need to have access longer than six months, you know, just even taking the clinical exam and not passing, that can be really mm-hmm. traumatic. It can be really embarrassing, right? Yeah. It took four tries for me to pass. Yep. And and how many people do you know who it took, you know, multiple times? who never passed, who just gave up and are no longer in mental health, no longer providing services. I know, I know quite a few people, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and, and even that, you know, and so being able to have this, you know, this tribe of folks, you know, who can say, you know, we got you, we're there with you. Um, the, our last fellowship class, one of our, um, she was an associate and so we did some brain spotting before she took her clinical, the clinical exam. She was experiencing a lot of racism at her clinical site and mm-hmm. got fired two weeks before the clinical exam. And so um, um, before she got fired, she had um, asked me if we could talk, we could meet. And so just kind of gave her some more. She's dealing with some racism and mm-hmm. just kind of talked about like how could she approach it. And then she ended up getting fired. Um, but was just, you know, devastated, but also like relieved. So she's like, well, now Mm -hmm. I can go and study, have all this time to study. You know, I'm glad I don't have to be there. But then when we started doing brain spotting, that's Mm -hmm. not what came out. What came out was she had a lot writing on passing this test, because if you're not licensed, you know, you're stuck. You're Mm -hmm. stuck at having to get back out there you know, to find someone else to work under and also just a lot of trauma. And so we did some brain spotting. Um, When she took the test, she said 
She actually, her ancestors came to the test with her. She saw me in there with her. And those are some of the things that we brain spotted. She actually prayed before our brain spotting session, during the session, and just all of that went with her into that test. And so mm-hmm. as soon as she passed the test, she called me before, before she even left. No, she called me and said, I passed. I don't know if she would have passed had she not been in our fellowship and had we not did brain spotting to really give her that support, you know, dealing with getting fired and they used mm-hmm. and not having family who could financially support her literally right. by herself, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, and as a woman of color by herself. And so, you know, and feeling, you know, loved and supported. Yeah. Well, I can also say that that also applies for men too. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. With that aspect and the aspect of also normalizing that it, this is a path for men is something that, as you said, speaking to try and find that for your son is a very critical thing too for not just our communities, but even for our culture. Because yes. it doesn't work well if we only have one side of our culture getting healed in this. Yes, yes. And for me, which is also why I'm so excited that we have three men in our program, you know, and these three men get to touch other, you know, black men and black boys, just Mm -hmm. even, you know, addressing stigma, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's okay, you know, to talk about, you know, have a range of emotions, you Mm -hmm. know, and not and not just anger, but also sadness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did some work a little bit of um, exposing another organization called Advance for Peace Fresno. And they Mm -hmm. are all black men and doing work with, with, you know, reducing gun violence and, and again, exposing, and these are like OGs in the community, like Mm -hmm. for real, you know, um, who have formerly incarcerated, have lost lots of, um, you know, their own children, people in the community, you know, to gang violence and talking about brain spotting. Also, you know, mm-hmm. exposing them to gay spotting and them actually being able to, you know, feel some of their own healing and feeling, you know, feeling just I'm excited and excited mm-hmm. that this this is available. And when they're able to have access to, you know, black therapists, black men, we're able to support more black men getting into this field. It is, it's a win win for all of our communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to take also, again, normal, normal, not just normalizing that, but also working on those who basically see a black man dealing with only this as some form of weakness, yes. as some sort of doubt in there, even their masculinity for being able to being a caregiver. Yes, yes. And so there's a bunch of stuff and work to be done there, too, uh, in the grand scheme of changing all of this. Yes, I agree. When I did the training with Advanced um, Peace Fresno, um, I did a gay spotting exercise. And one of the general, one of the younger gentlemen, and I said they were all black, um, mm-hmm. said, shared that he could feel, he felt safe there. He felt mm-hmm. all of their energy. And he shared what it was about their energy that he felt. Oh my gosh, Perry, it was such a healing experience you know, to hear this young man talk about feeling cared for, you know, feeling mm-hmm. safe to really, you know, to be himself. And then saying it to these other men, you know, in this space, um, myself and my coworker, we were the only black women in that space. 
the rest of them, it was black men. And so again, you know, being able to, you know, if you want to cry, if you need to cry, being able to do that, you know, it does, it normalizes those experiences and it mm-hmm. gives everyone else, you know, permission also to, to feel, you know, we spend so much time not feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a great place for us to wrap up here. So for folks, oh, well, there was one other place you <laughs> wanted to talk about was you also had something else going on with an endowment. Yes. So we um, will be wrapping up our 2023 cohort in January, and then we will be starting another cohort by January, February. So Cal Endowment have um, let us know that they they actually have offered us a multi-year um, grant. So for two years, so our fellowship is going to be funded at least for the next two years because they also, you know, see just the value of this fellowship, the work that we're doing, and that also BIPOC folks need to have access to BIPOC healers. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I'm super excited that we will be around our fellowship. Good. Very good. So I was about to say, where can folks find you to uh, either take advantage of this, to become part of this, or if they want to do to support or even find out how to start building this in their own area? So uh, the name of, again, my uh, private practice is Onyx Trauma Healing Center. Our phone number, the business office phone number is 559-772-4677. We have a website. If you just do a search for Honest Trauma Healing Center in Hanford, California, our website will it'll pull up. But it's HanfordOnyxCounseling.com. That's our website. And then my email address is Kelly Baker at. Yeah, well, we'll start with the business ones and <laughs> go from there because I don't want you to get hit with the spam. <laughs> okay. So yeah, if they if they yeah. Go on our website, or if they call the business number, our administrative sister, her name is Edith. She will connect them with me. And, um, you know, in addition to the work that I talked about, I also do business coaching. So, really supporting, mm-hmm. you know, BIPOC therapists into you know, creating their own profitable private practice. Gotcha. Perfect. So, Kelly, thank you for coming on here. And, uh, folks, again, Looking to support these things, looking to have use these services, check them out. And I uh, hope you take care as uh, this episode should be coming out in December. And I hope you're heading towards a good holiday season as well. So take care and be well. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.